Good morning. So um, it's good to see you. This is the last time I'll get to see some of you before the new year, right? Um, it's happening this week. It always seems like the years speed up, doesn't it? So just um, happy new year to you. If nobody said that to you yet, I saw a post on Facebook where somebody said that they thought that Barbara Walters needed to host the New Year's Eve thing so she could say, I am Barbara Walters and this is 2020. And I thought, that is awesome. That's great. Um, so welcome to those of you who are able to be with us. So glad you're able to be with us here in the building. But um, I've said it so many times. I'm trying to say it every week because um, it, it is something for us just to continue to think. There's many people who are joining us online now and they're checking us out. Sometimes vacation, sometimes illness, and sometimes people are just, um, they're curious and they want to know a little bit more about Praise Point. So if if you're watching us online, welcome to you. And also, I would just like to say, if you're watching us online from Florida, I know some of you are there. I'm really jealous. So um, I wish I was in your suitcase. So um, the bumper video this morning was something that is just really striking my heart. I've uh, been looking forward to a series that we're going to start today, and it's going to go through really January. So we're stepping outside of our Gospel of Mark series for really about two months, so January and February. So if you felt like you were just beginning to get into the Gospel of Mark, um, We'll be back there, but it'll be a little bit later. And instead, I wanted to start a series of knowing your yeses. Um, it, I really would just like to speak a little bit from the heart over the next month. Uh, every, every week I speak from the heart, but you know how there's times, there's seasons in your life where God seems to just lay certain things, maybe certain people, maybe certain issues in your life. He'll lay them on your heart, and those are the things that it seems like, you know, those are the things that you think about more. Those are the things that you pray about more. Those are the things that God is just stirring something in you, and he's stirring something in you because it's a part of his master plan because he's probably stirring something in the heart of your brother or sister in Christ, and all those things work together in God's incredible incredible divine orchestration. And so one of the things that God has just been stirring on my mind is um, knowing my yeses in life, not just in life, but also within the church. Do we really, I mean really believe that we have the greatest news that anybody ever could, could have? Do we really believe, I, I mean, really believe that God has saved us from our sins and that that same offer is available to our friends, our neighbors, our coworker, our family members, people all around us that we rub shoulders with, that we do life with? And that they need desperately to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if we really believed that, I think it would shape what we do, how we behave, how we think, how we operate on a week-to-week -week basis. And so, 
that's where I would really like to go um, for, for the course of this series. Now, just a, a little bit of caution, uh, if I could just throw it out here. So, so knowing your yeses, it could sound uh, maybe a little bit of like the yes men. There was a movie, Jim Carrey, a few years back uh, called Yes Man, and he was challenged in some sort of a seminar to say yes to everything and you know, we can't say yes to everything in, right, in life, right? In fact, we shouldn't say yes to everything in life. And so it was a kind of funny comedy movie, a little bit of funny ha-ha. But there's times that we sometimes operate that way. We keep saying yes so much that we haven't learned that word, that two-letter word. What's the word? No. There's certain things that we have to figure out how to say no. And, 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 you know, we hear that. We all hear that. I hear that. And I have a hard time at times saying no, figuring out those right and healthy boundaries. And, and I thought it was better to title the series Knowing Your Yeses rather than Knowing Your No's. Um, you, you know, have you ever noticed at times no is perhaps the first word that we learn as a little tyke? One of the very first, no, 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 along with mine. It's fascinating how that is just kind of built into us. We don't honestly lose that very much when we're adults because a lot of times, here's how we frame what we should and shouldn't do. Don't do this. We frame it in the negative. And, you know, there's something that psychologically happens to us that when we frame everything in the negative, we kind of sound like the negative Nancy. We seem like the, the negative Nelly that just always has something negative. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And, you know, unintentionally, I think that what, that hap what happens is some people begin to think then that their faith is about a list of do's and don'ts. Right? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, Christians don't do that, or Christians do do that? There's a framework that's built within Christians and even non-Christians, because let's, let's admit it, right? The, the American culture that we're in today, they, uh, they know about Christianity. In fact, they even think that they know more about Christianity than, than what they honestly really do. It would be easy to say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't be immoral, don't gossip, don't lie, don't cheat, don't do this, don't do this. But I think sometimes by defining what we should do, we learn what we sh should not do, right? We, we, we figure those things out. And so I want to spend some time in this series not talking about the don't do's, but rather about the what we should do or the do-do's. Yeah, yeah, take a second for some of you. What should we really be about? So here's where, where I would like to start us out. And if you have a bulletin with you, there's a little bit of a roadmap. The roadmap is actually shorter this week than what it has been in previous weeks. In fact, I'm hoping to accomplish that a little bit more for you in the coming weeks as we just kind of walk through some of these things. Because, um, yeah, I, I just hope that I want to give you some things to hang on, some things to think through, some things to maybe even pray through beyond your time here on Sunday morning, some things to have conversations about, great opportunities to think through with family or with your small group or with people at work. The first yes that we have to really get right 
is our yes to Christ. That's where I want to go this morning. But this is only the foundation for the whole series because we're going to revisit this whole saying yes to Christ in February when Brandon is going to speak. You, you see, we have been asking you, would you pray for your neighbors? So, so if we really believe this thing about Jesus, that the message of the gospel is the message of salvation that, that has eternal consequences, that is going to save some people from eternal condemnation, then, then there has to be a little bit, just as we read in the gospel or read in the scriptures, that Jeremiah had a fire in his belly. There has to be a degree to where I actually care about my neighbor. And I care so much about them that, that I know that I can't convince them about this whole Jesus thing. I can't convince them for their need for a Savior. That has to be the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's God's avenue. That's His lane. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to intercede on their behalf. And I'm going to pray for those people. Because that's really the only thing that I can do that's super effective that has even more power than me sharing the gospel. So we've asked you to care, and then we're going to ask you to share. But what am I really sharing? We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, and then in February, we're going to come back. So this is the foundation for everything. You see, knowing what I should do, what I shouldn't do, figuring out these whole yeses, uh, the, this whole yes thing, it's through the grid work or the framework of my relationship with Christ. So my relationship with Christ, if, if Jesus says he wants me to be holy as he's holy, okay, so then that tosses aside all these other things that I shouldn't be doing. You know, the things that grandma tells me not to do. Well, I, I, I know those things. I don't need Jiminy Cricket because I have Jesus. So we're going to start there. Then from, from, from there, next week, we're going to come back, and we're going to revisit something that, that we know, that we talk about, but I, I, I want to just lay it out there and say, here it is. As a Christ follower, if you're serious about this relationship, this eternal thing, if you're serious about um, your faith, then how am I going to mature? How am I going to grow? I have to spend time in the Word of God because that is God speaking to me. That's what we confess. That's what we say that we believe. But I'll only do it if I really honestly believe it. Because if I don't believe it, I'm not going to do it. So that when I hear from God through the Word of God, now I know how to pray. You see, the twin pillars of the Christian life are about studying the Scriptures and prayer. Because that is God speaking to us and us talking with him and us aligning our lives with his revealed will. Now, let me ask a real practical question. How am I going to know what God wants if I never hear from God? I won't. So how do I hear from God? Ah, scriptures. We're going to revisit that next week. Why Sundays? You know, um, I have been reading recently and listening to a bunch of 
um, radio commentaries, online stuff, vlogs, uh, video blogs. I've been reading a lot lately about how in the coming decade, actually in the last decade and in the coming decade, there are going to be Christians who, there's so much accessibility to good teaching, there's so much accessibility today in our digital age to good music that they feel like I don't need to come to church. Why do I need to come to church? What's the value in coming to church? I mean, I can be a Christian without going to church. How many of you heard somebody say that? Now, the reality of it is, is is that what God says about his children? What is the value of community, of the saints assembling together? You know, so honestly, we're going to hit the topic of church attendance. We're going to hit the topic of why do we even get together? I mean, why would we be so crazy to sacrifice time out of the morning to come and listen to blah, blah, blah? It's no more than just the blah, blah, blah. It is also the worship that happens and the community that happens. And so I think it's going to step on a little bit of all of our toes of asking questions of do I have authentic, genuine community with my church? And what is the value of that? And so we're going to talk about coming to church on Sundays. We're going to talk about the value of being in a small group because there I get to be a little bit more intimate. Now I not only know your children's name or maybe what your schedule is or when you're going to go have surgery, but now I know how you're feeling on the inside. Now I know what you think about this Bible passage and how you're wrestling through it because it's a struggle, right? We, we ought to wrestle through the Bible together. We're not an island. And also, why serve? I mean, what's, what's the value of doing something within the church? So we're going to talk about those things here in a couple weeks. By the way, um, if you're the one skipping on that Sunday, I know which one you wanted to miss. So. Just throwing it out there. It's terrible to say. How about yes to understanding and yes to encouragement? This is really going to be the theme, and we're going to talk about this later in January. I'm telling you now, though, this is going to be our theme, the whole ministry theme. This is what the Lord has really been like putting a weight on my heart for us as a church in 2020 understanding, not just scriptural understanding, but understanding what do we do together? <laughs> well, what, is, what are we wanting to accomplish as a church? What, what should, how do we do what we do? Like, when I give my money, where does that go? Um, when, when I have something that really is just burdening me, or, and I just want somebody in leadership to hear about it, where do I go? Who do, who do I talk with? Rather than just gossiping about it, which never, by the way, creates unity. It does just the opposite thing. So, so how do we do those things? And then we all just need encouraged, right? We just all need, I, I mean, life is tough. Marriage can be tough. Having kids can be tough. Having grandkids can be rough. That that wayward son, that wayward daughter, I mean, that weighs on us, and we need the encouragement to come from the community of the saints, the church, and to come from the Lord. And so this year, we just want to lean hard into those topics. And so this year, 
that's what we're doing. We're going to lean hard into being encouraged with one another. We're going to learn more about each other in, in being encouraged. And um, we're going to understand what we do, how we do. And I hope that it inspires us. I, I hope that it, it just takes us to a place of, man, I am so thankful to have brothers and sisters in Christ to be around me like we do and to, to be a part of a church that God is clearly doing some incredible things. We're going to share more of those things. Shameless plug. Um, the last Sunday, is that 26th in January? January 26th, a Sunday evening. We are going to share. You're going to hear from all the staff. You're going to hear some direction. You're going to hear from some of uh, the board leaders. You're going to hear, here's where we're going. Here's some incredible things that have uh, happened. You're going to also hear from some volunteers. And it should be an exciting evening. So I, I, I really hope that you kind of um, can notch that out of your calendar to be able to be here. So I, that's where I want to go with this series. It's just kind of where I want to start our year with, kind of gets us re-centered every year at the beginning of the year. You know, you're thinking about New Year's resolutions. What do I do? What do I not do? Uh, that's where I want to, that's where I really want to park ourselves here for about a month. To do that, I want to start us out in the book of Romans. And so if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn it. Romans chapter 3, um, it's going to be up here on the screen. That's the cheater version of it. I don't care if you use that or if you don't use that. Um, if you're saying, I don't have a Bible with me, there's Bibles in the pews. I hope that there's some Bibles in the pews. If there's not, we're going to make sure that they get replaced. But if you don't have a great Bible that you just like to be able to read, take one of those home with you um, and make that yours. That's uh, just a gift that we would love to be able to give to you. So that's where we're going to start this morning. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. And I know that this is a long passage, so bear with me. There's no way that I can cover this the way that we normally cover uh, a passage. But there's something that I just it caught my, my attention through this, and that's where I want to go this morning. So Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Here's what it says in the English Standard Version. What then? Are we Jews any better off? This is the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Roman Christians in Rome. And so there's this debate that's going on between Jews and Gentiles because Gentiles are those who are not the chosen people of God. You can all go all the way back to your Old Testament and see how uh, God chose Israel among all the nations to be his chosen people. And so then Jesus comes along. Actually, it's foreshadowed, prophesied in the Old Testament that God loves everybody. He loves all the nations. And, and so we as, as Gentiles... If you're not Jew, you're a Gentile. Non-Jews were grafted in. That We read about that later in the book of Romans. But the debate, the dilemma that's going back and forth is who's better, Jews or Gentiles? Now, let me give this a little bit of a more modern twist, and let me take it outside of the area of religion. This might be a little touchy to get into, but are we as Americans better than other nations? Well, you wrestle with that. That's the same kind of thing that is being wrestled among the Jewish people. He says, are we Jews any better off? He says, no, not at all. For we have all, so we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, 
are under sin. So, Jews and non-Jews, they're under sin. As it's written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they've become, you see this word? Worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of the asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that the law says it speaks to those under the law. Now, if you're not sure what the law is, I'm going to come back. I promise I'll revisit that and explain what that is. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin." But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, listen, that verse is a little bit of a comforting verse, a little bit of a universal verse. It's one that you may have heard, may have read before, heard somebody talk about, but you need to see the context in which that verse is kind of birthed, the, the context in which that verse lies, and, and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, great theological word, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, for by the law of faith, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is it God, the, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, also of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Well, what's all that say? Let me give you the cliff notes of this. By the way, this fights every bone in my body to not want to sit and pull out every little detail of that passage because that passage is power-packed, the whole book of Romans, power-packed. Where's our starting point? We're all sinned. We've all sinned. 
let me make it a little bit clear. Um, as Paul writes, listen, whether you're religious or whether you're non-religious, accept it. You've sinned. So, so both those who go to church, those who have gone to church their whole life, whatever denomination it is, and those who have never stepped foot in the church at all, they're on the equal plane, all sinners, all sinners. You see, there are times that folks who are churched, and maybe it's particularly the greater danger is for those of us who've been churched our entire lives. Like, we grew up in church, like we were almost like born in church. We were brought to church like the first week after we, after we were born. You know, that's my story. I, I grew up in the church. Listen, whether I grew up in the church or didn't grow up in the church, it doesn't put me in any better position in relation to an issue of sin. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. Now, what that ought to do for us as Christians is it ought to flavor the way that we look at the world. I'm, I've seen it, and I know you guys have too. Have you ever noticed sometimes churched people look down their nose at unchurched people? Mm. I know, I might be talking about something sacred there, right? Like, steps on toes. But we need to have those toes stepped on. Because here's the place. Sometimes church people will say, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. But they're sinners. What else would you expect? That's why we pray. That's why we passionately intercede, Right? When we begin to put ourselves positionally in a place that we think that we're better than someone else, it's a dangerous place. That's exactly the attitude that Paul was writing to the Jews about. Don't think that you're any better. Because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So both religious and non-religious people, we fall into that category of sin, the religious Jew and the irreligious Gentile. Let me kind of make this a little bit more modern. The churched person and the unchurched person. I don't care if they're an American or if they're from Zimbabwe or any other country that you can think of. That is the human condition I think that it's fitting for where we're going this morning. Before we start talking about the sin of those outside of the church, let's handle the sin of those within the church. Let's, let's talk about ourselves for a, for a moment, right? Because that's the, that's the principle within the Scriptures. Judgment is going to begin first with the church, then the world. We're always called to take the plank out of our own eye. 
before we can help someone else, right? So let's just be honest and talk about our own issues. If you struggle with the fact that you're a sinner, you're not alone. We all struggle with that fact. Now, what makes us different is that we are saved by grace, exclusively by grace, not because of how good we are, not because of how long that we've been into the church, not because of how much that we've given to the church, not because of any position that we've held within the church, not because of any of those things. We're saved by a supernatural work of God that we call grace. That's why we sing about this. That's why John Newton wrote this amazing grace. And, and when we have this right, this humility right, here's how we begin to think about ourselves. I am such a wretch. The Apostle Paul talked about himself in such a way. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul. Wow, what faith. What an amazing man. I mean, he, he wrote half of the New Testament. Wow. You know what he said about himself? I'm the chief of all sinners. You couldn't come up with a sinner greater than me. And then he gives a list about why he is that way. You know, you know, when I look at that, here's how I think about that. He began to see the extravagance of God's amazing grace in his life. And that's when you begin to see the extravagance of God's grace, we realize how humble we really need to be. Because we have no boasting. No boasting. The Apostle Paul had lots of reasons to boast. In fact, he talks about that in one of the books. But at the end of the day, he says, listen, all these works, it's just all about the grace. The grace of God. And, you know, there's, it's fascinating. We have to balance that because I, I hear so many Christians talk about themselves in this way, but I'm just a sinner. Right. That, that's the truth of the matter. We, we are sinners saved by grace. You know what God then calls us? Saints. You think, I, I don't think of myself as a saint. Right, but we ought to. Because I'm a son of the living God. I've been adopted into the family. I'm a co-heir with Jesus. I need to get my behavior to line up with that at times. The same thing that we all struggle with, right? A true Christian will acknowledge his or her own lostness. A true Christian begins to acknowledge his or her own lostness. There's a terrific book that I have uh, read this year. I'm probably going to buy some copies. Some of you have talked about it, and you've bought your own copies, but I'm probably going to buy some copies to make some available um, at cost, and that way, if you want to pick it up, it's a great read. Like, it's one of the, the top reads that I've read in the last several years. Um, it, it's, it's called um, The Unsaved Christian by Dean and Sarah. And he talks so much about cultural Christianity. That's really the, the world that we're living in today. The American culture is, quote-unquote, a Christian culture. We love to sing, God bless the USA. But, but, I mean, 
do we see America as a whole have a burden, a supernatural burden for the lostness of their neighbors, the lostness of their friends? There's a danger for, for us that are churched to fall into a trap of cultural Christianity. And in cultural Christianity, here's what happens. People miss the heart of the gospel. Sure, you could be churched and be a cultural Christian. You Get it. Yeah, I totally get it. You can say the right things. You can do the right things. You can be a part of the right things. You can serve in the right things. But if you miss the heart, you still miss the gospel. That's the point that Paul is getting at in Romans. That's what Jesus battled as we have been talking through the gospel of Mark with the Pharisees. Saying all the right things, doing the right things, claiming some of the things. But they worship God with their mouths, but their lips or with their, with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. That's what Solomon said. It was the same struggle in the first century. But we definitely see it in the American culture that, that we live in today. Because in cultural Christianity, religion becomes more attractive you know why religion is more attractive? It involves less sacrifice. It's easier to be religious. Easier to be about the list of the do's and the don'ts than about really trying to figure this whole thing out with my relationship with God. That's the harder thing. Have you ever noticed how tough relationships can be? I don't care if it's with a spouse or with a brother or a sister or with a parent or with children, uh, with grandparents, with neighbors, with coworkers. Relationships can be brutal, right? And they're messy. They're never ever nice and tied up like a neat little bow. Religion is nice and tidy. Religion is almost a little bit sterile to where we, we look at the cross and we say, oh, man, that cross so beautiful. But do you realize that that cross was bloody and brutal and it was smelly and there were, there were all kinds of messy stuff going on? That's what our salvation is, is lifted from. Relationships are tough. And when we deal with those things in the real way, in the honest way, in the heart way, uh, we all need help. We all need that together, Right? The danger in cultural Christianity is being religious. That's what Jesus combated with the Pharisees. That's what Paul is talking about to, to even the, the Jewish believers. Guys, don't, don't get confused. We're not about religion. When we start getting there, it's dangerous. Os Guinness said, uh, as sinful human beings, we have an instinctual and compulsive bias towards forms of religion that we ourselves can create and that we can control. That's what religion is. It's nice and it's tidy. It's clean. It, it, it has its right proper place. And, you know, we go 
I even, I remember several years back, I was talking with somebody, and uh, he didn't go to church, his, his wife and his kids, and the way that, that he talked about it, I was talking with him, he says, oh, they're at religion. What he meant was, is they're at church. But just even that, even that terminology, everything on the inside of me just, oh, to even hear that. Like I thought, I just don't even know where to start because there's so much that's wrong with the statement that you're saying. And if they're treating it as religion, well, then they're lost as well. That's the danger of religion. That's one of the reasons why tradition, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, is such a double-edged sword. It's beautiful. It's wonderful, but it always points us towards something. And when we begin to, to be stuck on the form, rather on the function, eh, sometimes we miss it. For some, preserving tradition becomes the greater objective than what the tradition points to. So as mature believers, here's what we do. We get all this stuff out of the way, and we say it's about a relationship with Jesus. Because I want... I want desperately to please and to honor God. There's a, there's a holy yearning on the inside of me. We're going to talk more about that and revisit that uh, again in February. So let's move on. That's us. That's the cautions for us. That's the calling for us. That's what we say yes to. Right relationship with Jesus, not just religion. So what about those who are outside of Christ? Because really those are the two buckets, right? You have those who are in Christ. You can use an old term that's used in, in, in yesteryear of they're a part of the fold. They're a part of the, the relationship with Jesus. And then the other bucket is, is those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus. There's only the two buckets, what about the people who are non-religious people? What about them? There's a part of me that I want to say, well, what about them? Make sure that we get ourselves right first. But non-religious people, have you ever noticed that they culturally observe Christian things, such as Christmas and Easter? Now, You'll go down the aisles of Walmart and you'll see all sorts of things that point to Jesus, but it's a secular market. You'll see people that have nativity scenes set up in their home, all sorts of, of nice little things, Christmas ornaments and uh, things that are outside for Christmas lights. Jesus is the reason for the season, but they never, they've never really said yes to Jesus. Culturally speaking, yeah, they're saying the right things. That's great. But I don't want them to be deceived. I, I don't want them to be a part of that Matthew chapter 7 where they're going to appear before Jesus and say, but hey, you know, um, I hung up um, a, a Christmas wreath during Christmas time. I went to church on Easter time. And he's going to say, I never even knew you. But weren't those the right things? Well, yeah, but you still missed the relationship. You see, there are those out in the world 
That let me use it this way. Christmas and Easter is one of the, the, the most natural times to have a faith conversation with them. We need to remember that. That's one of the reasons why we, we gave buckets out for Christmas time is because it's easier to give someone a gift at Christmas time. Right? By the way, tell us all of your bucket stories. We, 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 we definitely want to continue to hear those things. Just because someone says that they believe in God doesn't mean that they're saved. The book of James writes that even the demons believe and yet they tremble. Demons have better theology at times than what we do. <laughs> you, you know, just because someone says, yeah, I believe in God, doesn't put them in a category to where they have a right relationship with God. It's fascinating as a pastor, this is my confession to you, there's times that I just don't want anybody to know I'm a pastor. I would just rather have an honest conversation with them. I just want to have, let me just get to know you as, as somebody, because it's fascinating. The moment they find out I'm a pastor, it changes, doesn't it, Pastor Mark? It changes everything. All of a sudden, they want, to, they want to tell you about which church they were at last, which was a lot of times last Christmas or last Easter. Or this is a phrase I hear all the time. Well, just because I go to church doesn't mean that I don't believe in God. Okay, there's just a lot to unpack in that, but we don't have time for that right now. Those are things that really bother me. Because here's, here's where they're at. For, for, for them, they're wanting to share with me, hey, I believe in God, and I'm saying, oh, that's great. That's a starting point, but you realize that that doesn't get you into heaven. That's not where you, that's not where you need to be. And there's times that I think that we, we, we Christians have to use old just a lot of wisdom and discernment when we hear somebody say, yeah, I believe in God. Good. So what, do you believe what God says? Because if we believe what God says, no, no, that, that's a whole other thing. Because he says a lot about a lot. There's always a refreshing rawness, I find, in talking to people who are outside the church. Man, I, I, I love just having conversations with those who aren't a regular part of the church. That might sound sick. I just, I like people. I, I, I want to just hear your stories. And people, especially if they don't know that, that I'm a pastor, it, when they're talking with me, it's filled with all sorts of colorful language. All sorts of colorful language. And, and then it's, it's filled with all sorts of other things. You know how it goes, right? I just love that rawness. Because there are times that we, as Christians, we want to put on a good good face for everybody. How are you doing? I'm, oh, I'm, I'm doing good. When you are rotting on the inside or, or, or you are broken to shambles, and here's what we feel. 
we feel so isolated because we just don't know who to go to because everybody says that they're fine and I don't, I don't know who to go to to be able just to share or I don't feel like I have the ability to be transparent enough with somebody to actually tell them all the brokenness that's going on in my heart and the thoughts that I have that I know that aren't right, that God wants to work on those thoughts. And I feel like if I say them out loud that somehow supernaturally God's going to strike me with lightning. But the reality of it is, is those are the very things that when we say those to other believers, it releases so much of just a rawness and an honesty of saying, this is who I am, warts and all. That's why small groups matter so much. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks. I, I just, I love the rawness because un, unsaved, unchurched people, they don't have anything to prove. For the most part, they're just saying, hey, here's who I am. Either you like it or you don't like it. I love that. I love that. So, as we're having conversations then with those who are outside the church, for the person who says, oh, you know what, just because I don't go to church doesn't mean that I don't believe in God. Or, hey, I know I ought to go to church, but there's so many other things that just, I'm busy. Well, we're all busy. You, you just make priorities for the things that matter the most for you. That's the way life is. I love the deer hunt. I make time to deer hunt. It just doesn't happen by accident, right? Like, it, we, we make time to do the things that matter the most for us. And, and sometimes, here's what people really think. I'm really not all that bad. Surely I'm not all that lost. Or maybe they even really know their lostness. And they're just waiting to hear from you to tell them about Jesus. Some of these stories that you guys have been sharing with me, with Brandon, with Mark, have been incredible. People all around us, you don't have to go very far to find people who, who are just looking for hope. That's why this year is going to be such a year of hope. We have that hope to offer them. And there's, an, there's categorically those who don't even know that they're lost. To be honest, right, you got to know that you're lost before you can acknowledge your need to be found, right? It's like the guy that's driving out in the middle of nowhere with no GPS, no map, no whatever, and the wife is saying, we're lost. I know we're lost. I know we've been driving around. Ah, oh, I'm just a little turned around here. Hold on. Right? We know that. There's an attitude that is pervasive in our American culture. I just need, need uh, a little bit of direction. There's a phrase that I've learned that I love. You got to get people lost before you can get them saved. People have to recognize their need for Jesus before they come to Jesus, right? Because if they see Jesus as is just a crutch, if they see Jesus as just something that, oh, you know what, it's, it's nice eye candy, it's a good thing to carry along with me, it's a good luck charm in my moment of need, that's how they're going to treat Jesus. 
when we really see how lost that we really are, we begin to see our absolute dire need with Jesus. Now, this issue of the law that Paul wrote about here in Romans 3, he's referring to the Mosaic Law. You have it in your Bible. It's the Pentateuch, for the most part, is the way to talk about it in the simplest terms. How do I know that I need something? How, how, how do I know that I'm doing something wrong? The law. The Mosaic law, particularly, what it does is it lets me know, ah, you know what, I've sinned. It doesn't fix my sin because it just lets me know, hey, you're, you're out of bounds, right? So some of you stayed up last night to watch the OSU Clemson tragedy. How did they know when they were out of bounds? How did they know when to call all of the when when to call all the flags and you know there was penalties here and there and penalties everywhere? How did they know that? Well, the rule book, right? These are the boundaries. These are the yardage markers. This is where the goal is at. The rule book. That's what the law does. It lets us know quote-unquote, the rules, God's law. How, how do I know if I am over the speed limit, the sign? A lot of times, here's how we treat the sign. Oh, it's just a suggestion. And it's fascinating because sometimes we treat God's law that way too. That's just a suggestion. It's what I do if I'm good and moral. What Paul says is, listen, the law itself, though powerful, it only lets us know about our sins. We needed to be saved apart from the law because we couldn't obey the law. We couldn't do it. That's why we needed Jesus to fulfill the law. And so, in so doing, then, we're saved by this incredible grace. The eureka moment that, that, that we have is like, oh, I'm really, really lost. I desperately need Jesus. That comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray. That's why we come to God and say, God, we need you to do this work because we can't do it. So there are a couple things not to miss. The chief end of our salvation is the greater glory of God that's given to us by His incredible, amazing grace. That's the chief end of our salvation. Not so that we could say, oh, look at me, look how awesome I am. Aren't I better than you? You know, that really bothers me when Christians begin to think that they're better than non-Christians. It really bothers me. Because we begin to think, oh, you know what? Don't you know what I've done in the church? Don't you know that I've served all of these positions in the church? Well, great. Good. But tell me what you've done with your relationship with Jesus. Because that's what matters at the end of the day. Since our salvation is the work of God's grace, we just don't have any 
room to boast, do we? The only boasting that we have is God has done something supernatural and incredible in my life. And all the glory at the end of the day, it goes back to God. Because I didn't do it. He chose me. He picked me. He, he, he foreknew me. He, he, he saw that before the stars were casted out. He, he, he knew my need. He knew my desperation. And he said, I am going to adopt him. I'm going to adopt her. At the end of the day, what that does to us is we say, wow, thank you, God. I have zero bragging room in this relationship. And all glory goes back to you. And at the same time, here's what, here's what we say. Oh, God, why would you choose me? For some reason, you chose, you chose me. And so, Father, I am going to ask that supernaturally you will draw people to yourself. For it's your passion that none would perish. And so, we pray. So, our starting point number one, our yes number one, is saying yes personally to Christ. And then begin praying for those who are not yet in Christ. We're going to take that ante up in February to the next level about sharing with Christ. So that's where we're starting. Today, if you have never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you have said yes to Jesus, but you feel like, I, I need to get some things right, I just need to get them out, I want to do business with God. Listen, these altars are always open, but you don't have to come up here to make that decision. But if you make that decision today, please don't leave without telling myself or Pastor Mark. Pastor Brandon isn't here today. But come and let us have that conversation and celebrate that win with you because we don't want you to walk alone. We won't look down on you, I promise, because we are just going to celebrate what God has done. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit to celebrate what you have done. As we come out of this Christmas season celebrating the Christ child, what an incredible blessing. And, and Father, I want, to, I want to not neglect that incredible gift of salvation. I, I want it to, to be the core of who I am, to define every part of me. For the times to where I fall so short, which is so often, forgive me. Because I know that I am a wretched sinner that has been saved by your extravagant grace. I know that I can marvel and I can bask in that grace and I have no reason to boast. But I boast about you. I boast about your glory. I boast about your goodness about your amazing grace, as John Newton wrote. So thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, Father. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who is given to us as a down payment on that which we're going to inherit eternally as we spend forever, eternity, in your presence. So may you have all of me. Keep taking me to places to where I just want to give and resign more of myself to your goodness, your will, and your pleasure. I pray this in the name who made it possible, Jesus Christ. Amen. We
Jesus' name.